translate from Pali into English. And for others, there is really no easy translation at all. So this evening I want to talk about a process which in Pali is called Papancha. And if there's any word you're going to remember in Pali and take away with you from this retreat, this is the one I would recommend, Papancha. Let it roll off your tongue, sit in your mind. So I'm going to give you a loose translation of it, which is a whole big mouthful. So papancha, loosely translated, is the proliferation of thoughts and mental events that generate reactivity and views that cloud and distort our capacity to see and understand the way things actually are. <laughs> Did you get that? <laughs> you got it? I hope. Anyway, I'll explain as we go along. Now, Papancha, as the Buddha speaks about it and as we experience it, is the source of most of the agitation, restlessness, anxiety, and unease we experience in our hearts and minds. It's papancha that often leads us to struggle with ourselves and others. Papancha is certainly very much involved in obsession and rumination and preoccupation. Outwardly, papancha has a very big role to play in the generation of violence, of war, of greed, of consumerism, and of all of the isms that beset our world. Papancha is what is happening inwardly when we find ourselves tormented by an overfull mind. Papancha leads us to fall into craving and hate, to fear about the future. Papancha has much to do with the loops of guilt that we can play and replay in our minds. It's part of what leads us to practice avoidance. It's what, hap is, what is happening when we're lost in fantasy and construction and stories about ourselves and others. Papancha is what is happening when we find ourselves replaying the unfinished symphonies that we carry through our lives. As we find ourselves once more going around that familiar thought circle, we have gone around a hundred or a thousand times before. Now I'm going to read you something which so well illustrates what Papancha is. Now you have to understand, this is a note written by a yogi, and before I read this, I have to totally tell you, we don't save your notes to read in future Dharma talks. <laughs> Please be assured of that. The yogi who wrote this note in retrospect recognized that it was such a masterpiece of papancha <laughs> that when I asked her if I could keep it and share it, she gave me full permission. So, here we go. This took place at a retreat I was teaching in California, and I, I was actually quite reassured to get this note after having seen a naked yogi standing on a porch with a bucket of water and a scrubbing brush, which, you know, we are very tolerant on retreats, but <laughs> that did seem to be pushing the limits a, a little, you know. So, so here it goes. So I was taking a walk on one of the paths think city girl, feeling proud about being adventurous. And all was peaceful and well until the woods. A big black spider, see picture on back, <coughs> glommed onto my sweatshirt. I began squealing, so much for noble silence, and then started running. 
I ditched the path and headed for the field to get out of the woods. Unfortunately, I thoroughly disturbed some roosting turkeys, and they started squawking, which scared me. I ran back into the woods and onto the path and picked up the pace. Then it crossed my mind that I was sure to be a mountain lion's dinner. So I tried walking, saying to myself, be mindful, be mindful. But it was all too much, so I said, screw mindfulness, <laughs> screw the mountain lions, and I took off at a high rate of speed, for me anyway, seeing as I quit smoking four days ago. <laughs> my lungs aren't able to keep up with my legs. As I was cruising past the dead stumps of trees, homes of mountain lions, question, 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 <laughs> I spotted in passing the dreaded poison oak. I am now convinced, since I was running, squealing like an idiot and not paying attention, that I am covered in poison oak oil. I threw my clothes on the floor and washed my face and hands, but I'm worried. I saw the laundry soap in the manager's office, but it didn't seem to be special poison oak soap. <laughs> I didn't see anything poison oak related. I did notice you have a wonderful supply of Chinese herbs, though. <laughs> anyway, what do you recommend I do? <laughs> Besides shutting up. P.S. I woke up singing in my head, Thank God I'm a Country Boy by John Denver. <laughs> it was probably an omen from the universe. I'm sticking to paved open roads. P.S.S. <laughs> Can poison oak get inside your body? <laughs> because as soon as I changed, I went and ate lunch. It is a masterpiece. <laughs> and I'm sure we all have our own masterpieces we could share if we were brave enough. Now, when we listened to this note, or certainly when I read this note, you know, I, I just smiled and smiled. It was even humorous for her, but it was humorous in retrospect when she could see what had happened, how a world had been created through thought and through anxiety that colored and distorted the capacity to see things the way they were and to respond wisely in the light of that scene. Now, this particular piece of papancha took place over an hour or two. But in reality, it can happen in seconds. And it happens, of course, countless times in a single day. You think about the journey to lunch, and please forgive me if I'm endlessly going on about lunch, but it's the most kind of universal example on a retreat, and it's not that I'm obsessed about lunch, right? <laughs> but think about the journey to lunch. Now, okay, how does it begin? We hear the bell. And we know the time. We're sure of it. It's not time for walking. <laughs> and just hearing the bell can provide plenty of fuel for Papancha to begin. Hmm? How the mind starts going. Gosh, the bell. I better get going. You know, get to the front of the line. What if the food runs out? No, I was in the front of the line yesterday. I better not go to the front of the line today because someone will notice and think I'm very greedy. But that means I have to postpone my lunch plans, you know, and how am I going to fit both my nap and my walk into the lunch break if I'm not at the front of the line? We pass the notice board on the way to the line. We're still indecided. Oh, there's no notes for me today, but Julie's getting lots of notes, you know. <laughs> I wonder if she's getting a lot of extra attention. Maybe she's having a hard time. I wonder if I'll have a hard time on this retreat. Maybe I should write her a note of sympathy. Get in, get in line. Oh, what's for lunch? Oh, no, not that again. You know, more of this vegetarian stuff. stuff. You know, we could just go on and on and on. Does it sound familiar at all? 
we get the picture. It's this kind of psychological and emotional vandalism that we seem almost addicted to, that we feel helpless sometimes before. You know, one time in one of the discourses when the Buddha was really talking about a well-trained mind, now get this one. He says the definition of a well-trained mind is a person thinks the thoughts they wish to think and does not think the thoughts they don't wish to think. You get the implications of that? What that would look like? Imagine that, just think the thoughts you wish to think and don't think the thoughts you don't wish to think. Now, some papancha can feel pretty pleasant. You know, if we've got a lovely fantasy on the go, you know, a really delicious daydream, imagining some future delightful event, you know, and we're embroidering it in our minds and, you know, proliferating about it can kind of feel pretty pleasant. Some papancha feels fairly neutral. You know, it doesn't really have any extreme emotional uh, character. It's, it's kind of like going through the day with this, you know, you know, the commentator kind of running in the background. You know, oh, that's nice, that's not so nice. You know, it's warm, it's not so warm. You know, flowers looking good. You know, it's this kind of commentary that's churning out some of the papancha we find ourselves lost in is actually pretty toxic. You know, the kind of judgment loops we get in about ourselves and others, the thoughts that go round and round that solidify the truth of those judgments, those arguments. We can be lost in depression and our thoughts about our unworthiness, the thoughts of despair and hopelessness that can spin round and round, solidifying that sense of bleakness. You know, we can be anxious or, or phobic, and the whole world is kind of assessed as being an invader or fearful and generating endless thinking and then endless action to try and protect ourselves from injury. And what I think is really important to see is that when even when Papancha feels fairly benign or even feels pretty pleasant, the habit of papancha is not at all benign because it has no conscience. And it's not as if we can just choose to proliferate about the pleasant and then not to choose and then choose not to proliferate again about the difficult. The habit of Papancha, that kind of tendency within us, will be hijacked by aversion, by craving, by conceit, by fear. The Buddha once said that there is no one thing that can do us more harm than an untrained mind, and that there is no one thing that can be a greater friend, a greater ally than a well-trained mind. Now, much of papancha, of course, is an internal activity. It's a psychological, emotional activity. But then it, of course, does so much govern and direct and shape our speech, our action, our choices, our relationships. Papancha can also, and I think this is important to see, papancha can be internal and very individual, but of course, it can also be collective. And it's like collective papancha is even more toxic than individual papancha. You know, gossip is a classic example of that, isn't it? You know, we don't like someone, we find somebody else who also doesn't like the same person, and we feel much more reassured and reaffirmed in our dislike and our views and the righteousness of it if we can generate the story together. Collective papancha finds the reassurance of, uh, we find the reassurance of views through collective papancha. Um, you know, I think, you know, some of you, not all of you, but some of you uh, are old enough to remember, remember the days when communism was going to take over the world? We've, you know, fought the Vietnam War over it. 
you know. It was a whole collective papancha, wasn't it? Communists were coming, it was going to be this domino effect, pretty soon the whole world was going to be overtaken by communists. You know, every, you know, went to war, thousands of people lost their lives, lost their homes. And guess what? Who's our favorite trading partner now? You know, it, it, it's, it's like communism is not actually not a problem anymore. We're even taking it off the immigration form. That you don't have to declare anymore coming into America if you've ever been a communist. That's great news. Until this year, you had to. But it's okay now. It's okay now. But think about the papancha that was produced. Think about sexism racism, homophobia, all of the isms which are really a sharing of collective papancha. And I think when we see this, we surely see the importance of understanding how the process of papancha in a way is the process of building our world. It's building our world that we believe in, live, share, and act. And surely then we also see the importance, this, this deep importance of taking care of the quality of our own hearts and minds, because truly no one can do that for us. And the Buddha once said, you know, this mind, this body, it does the bidding of the skillful and the unskillful. That this mind, this body, does the bidding of the wholesome and the unwholesome. That used well, used wisely, this body, this mind, is a raft to freedom. That used unwisely, this body, this mind, ties us to suffering. So papancha is not something that is predetermined. You know, the emotional, the psychological storms that we can find ourselves in do not arrive ready-made. It is a process. It's a process that can be understood. It's a process that can be liberated. You know, and it's almost as if this teaching and this path is really inviting us to imagine a mind which is a papancha-free zone. A mind which is not prone to papancha. And to imagine that is a very real possibility for all of us. Papancha is an emotional and psychological habit of constructing, of fabricating, of obsessing and ruminating. And in this tradition, it's usually called the habit of dwelling. But of course, the habit of dwelling really persists, like all other habits, in the absence of mindfulness. And one of the very direct effects of mindfulness is to loosen and to dissolve habit. And in the end, actually, to uproot the habit of dwelling. Now, I'm going to give you some formulas in this talk, but don't feel like you have to sort of grab hold of them, because I, I really hope that I'm able to illustrate these formulas that at first might sound a little alien with some very specific uh, uh, examples, and I'll probably go back to lunch. <laughs> <laughs> so the Buddha put forward this, this simple but profound formula, and don't worry about the concepts, because I'm going to explain them, that dependent upon contact, there is feeling, that what we feel, we perceive, that what we perceive, we think about, that what we think about may manufacture and proliferate about, that what we frequently think about and dwell upon becomes the shape of our mind. This is the basic formula of papancha. Contact, feeling, perception with all of its associations from the past, the liking, the disliking, the dwelling, the dwelling that turns into conclusions, into images, into beliefs about ourselves and others. Now, at first this sounds very complex, and it is true that it happens incredibly quickly. But the work of our practice is to slow the process down. That's what we're doing with the practice of mindfulness. 
is that we're slowing this internal process down so we can see it, so that we can understand it, so we can investigate it and liberate it. So here comes a simple example, and we're back at lunch again. So you're walking through the kitchen in the morning when lunch is being cooked and prepared. And in that walk through, I mean, in walking through the dining room, and in that walk through the dining room, we have all the raw ingredients of papancha. First of all, there is what I described as contact. So what is contact? It is meeting of the sense door, the sensory information, and the sensing. So in this case, the nose, the smell, and the smelling. Those three meeting together is called contact. Now, as, you, as that contact happens, feeling and perception arise pretty much together. First of all, we identify the smell. It's the perception, right? We identify. It's, it's garlic. That's what we smell. Now, that's still fairly, fairly neutral. You know, and it's fairly it could be fairly universal. But whether we associate, but but what I no what often happens here, whether we associate that perception as being pleasant or unpleasant, whether we feel that perception as being pleasant or unpleasant, will depend actually quite a lot on our memories and associations. So there's the perception, garlic, okay? Then, oh, immediately you can feel the surge of memory and association coming in. I'm allergic to garlic. You know, I remember all the times I've suffered with garlic. And away we go. You know, why do they cook garlic? A good meditation center wouldn't cook garlic. Life is unfair. Things always happen to me. I can't even go on retreat because they cook garlic. Actually, that's, you can feel how it goes. Now, another person walking through the dining room with the same contact and the same perception of garlic may have an entirely different background of association and memory. Oh, garlic, we're having my favorite food for lunch. You know, it's going to be Italian food. I remember last time I went to Italy and you know, I fell in love in an Italian restaurant and I had that wonderful vacation and I got married, but then I got divorced and, you know, and it started with the same smell. Now, we can spend the rest of our day, actually, in that loop, in one way or another. Now, what would it be like to slow the process down where the smell is just the smell and the garlic is just the garlic? Now, the solution to papancha is not to hide ourselves away from the world. This would be quite impossible. And yet, at the same time, papancha can feel like a prison, and we forget that we hold the key in our hand. And it really is the question of, can we transform the heart? Can we transform the mind that can feel like such an adversary into a friend, a source of peace? And as I mentioned the other night, you know, that this teaching is not about teaching us not to think. You know, that would be, well, ridiculous, apart from anything else. I mean, but it is teaching us to think well, to think with creativity, with simplicity. We can see the problem. You know, I'm sure all of us who have a mind can see the problem, that the problem of being overtaken by these storms, the tsunami of thinking, of repetitive looping. But what is the solution? Hmm? What is the solution? Well, first, as we've mentioned and stressed a lot here, first we need to be able to calm down, to be able to be mindful of our mind. We need to cultivate a mind that has a foundation of balance and steadiness and clarity. And this is an ongoing practice that we're undertaking here. It really is. You can feel it as a training, that we're learning to again and again attend to just this moment. And you've probably noticed that every time you come back and somehow unhook from some of those loops, 
you are in truth training yourself in letting go. Hmm? It, it's kind of renunciation by stealth. <laughs> so we're sneaking it in. You know, if we told you renunciate, you know, renunciation by stealth, we're slipping it in, we're sneaking, by s- sneaking it in, right? So we're coming back over and over again, collecting and gathering. And what's actually happening in that process is there's a kind of inner fasting rather than an inner feeding. So we're learning to do a little bit of inner fasting that is really contributing to the health of our hearts, the health of our minds. Now, we're learning about restraint. This is also part of letting go of papancha. You know, stepping back not only from the thought processes, but also with mindfulness, stepping back from some of the agitated behavior that is born of papancha. I mean, you can see if you're in that loop about the garlic, you know, how you might immediately think, oh, I've got to go write a note to the cooks, you know, I'm going to write an essay to the board, you know, I'm going to do all this stuff to fix it, you know, I'm going to go to town, get some other food, you know. You could feel the, uh, the wave of agitated behavior arising with the agitated mind. And this happens a lot in our life, doesn't it? So what we're doing, even with the practice of mindfulness and being mindful of the body, is we're actually learning to undertake some restraint instead of trying desperately to fix and to modify um, one state after another to avoid that which we think is going to destroy us. We try to calm the body. So sometimes we calm the mind and that calms the body. And sometimes we calm the body, and calming the body helps to calm the mind. And it is intentional. It's a practice and a cultivation. So instead of feeding the habit of distractedness, we're feeding and nurturing, we could say, the habit of non-distractedness, of being present and being simply here. And then when we do that, you can feel yourself coming a little bit closer to that moment of contact. You know, when there is the smelling, when there is the hearing, when there is the seeing, when there is the touching, you can feel yourself coming a little bit closer to that moment of contact. And sometimes with mindfulness, we learn we have a choice that we can proliferate, or we can learn to simplify. Now, restraint at the sense doors is not really culturally very praised. You know, It's not often seen as being an alluring or tempting prospect. You know, instead, we're a little bit more encouraged to have more sights, more sounds, you know, more sensations, more experience, but we see that without practicing restraint, some restraint of our sense doors, either that we're at the mercy of papancha because we're throwing so much fuel on the fire, or if we don't practice restraint, we become sometimes a beggar at the sense doors, you know, pursuing a world where there is just more and more and more, just in a way almost as if we think more and more and more is going to be a solution for papancha or unease. The Buddha once said that the wise seek to understand contact. Well, first he said the world, our world is born of contact. But then he said the wise seek to understand contact and the foolish pursue it. Now, just learning to be aware in the practice of how our sense doors are really being used moment to moment because it's a cultivation of wise attention. And wise attention in this teaching in this path is described as not grasping at the sense impression or the associations with it. So, we, you know, we, we hear a, a sound, you know, uh, there's, oh yeah, it's a truck. We don't have to grasp at the sense impression or the associations with it, you know. Why is that here? Why is it coming? Shouldn't it be coming? You know, that is where papancha starts. When we go past the notice board with wise attention, we see just a note. 
you know, with unwise attention, we go down the road of speculating, imagining, storytelling. You know, we hear the sound. It can be just the sound and not the story about its past or about its future. We don't even need to go into the territory of, of liking or disliking. It can just be a sound. Learning how to develop our capacity to embrace all things with wise attention, with non-clinging, you know, it is not just for our own well-being. In so many ways, there's something so ethical about this because it is about liberating the world from our story about it, liberating other people from our story about them and our likes and our dislikes and our demands and our expectations. So when we begin to calm down, you'll probably begin to sense the way in which papancha, it's not all the same. It's not all blanket papancha. But that there are almost like streams of papancha that hold like different flavors, different emotional tones. And these emotional tones within papancha, I think, are very important to understand because they are the emotional tones are the fuel that keeps the papancha running, okay? that keeps us getting caught in the cycle of, of thought and obsession. And these emotional tones, really seeing them, is really the stuff of insight. So I'll give you a list of the emotional tones. First, there is craving-based papancha. Craving-based papancha. Now, what is that? Now, mostly craving-based papancha is mostly the unconscious projections through which we invest objects, people, events, with the capacity to provide us with happiness, safety, and security. Hmm? Mostly an unconscious projection. That, un- that craving-based papancha is the basis of expectation and demand and then, of course, often disappointment and frustration. But it's the basis of the expectation and demand that is directed towards people and the world. It's based upon unfulfilled need, a sense of incompleteness, of insufficiency. It's called tanha papancha. I must have, I need, I will be desolate, If I don't get this, the new car, the new relationship, the meditation experience, the second portion of lunch, it has no conscience. (laughs) You know, I will be desolate if I cannot have this because that is the gatekeeper of my happiness. That holds the intrinsic power to make me happy and without it, or safe, and without it, I'm incomplete. Then we build stories about all of that, right? The second kind of papancha is what is called ditty papancha. The stream of thinking that revolves around opinions, prejudices, concepts, preconceived ideas. Now, ditty papancha, this view-based papancha, is the base of most of the arguments we have with the world. You know, my view clashes with your view, and of course I know mine's right, you know, so yours is wrong and I have to prove why it's wrong, you know, and that is ditty-based papancha. It is sometimes the idea of how things should be. Ditty-based papancha sometimes gets into the whole area, you know, people are terrible, you know, all the generalizations, the world is like this, you know, you know, Europeans are like that, you know, this kind of person is like that. It's kind of like this whole generalizing view. And the thing that we need to acknowledge about views is we have considerable amount of investment in our life generally about being right. Small understatement. (laughs) But political views, religious views, 
all those views. You know, I remember when I first started practicing, started practicing the, in the Mahayana, Tibetan Mahayana tradition, along with Fred very much year, many, many years ago. And we lived up high up on the Himalayan foothills, you know, and I, Fred, of course, didn't do this. He's much too um, pure for this. But <laughs> I, I had very much the sense of I was superior because I was practicing in the greater vehicle, you know. And there were all those down on the plains in India, you know, those Theravadans. <laughs> Usually we called them Hinayanas. Practicing in the lesser vehicle. And I, you know, when I look back on that time, now I cannot even believe I was so smug, you know, or so, you know, so self-righteous. But it was like an unarguable truth for me, you know. And but more, I could see the way that the view and the belonging, uh, the view provided me with a sense of belonging, and identity, and therefore safety. Uh, the third kind of papancha is what is called is aversion-based papancha. It's called dosa papancha. And it is based, the base of a lot of the proliferating we do about ourselves and others. We dislike someone. You know, someone offends us. You think about it on a retreat. Somebody does something fairly innocuous, really, in the grand scheme of human failings. You know, <laughs> they take the last nectarine or, uh, <laughs> you know, they wear the wrong color socks or something fairly innocuous, you know. And you can feel the aversion arise towards that person, you know. And pretty soon, you know, you got your eye out for them. <laughs> you know, it's like they can't escape you, you know. And, and, and you, you, you're building up this portfolio of imperfection, you know. They not only did that, but they do that and, 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 that, and that, you know. And, and it's like they're like this terrible, terrible person with not one redeeming quality, you know. And you know, this is actually dosa papancha. And of course, as long as we're prone to have both aversion and papancha, we'll do the same to ourselves. You know? One innocent slip up. You know, we fell asleep in the hall. You know, we spilled our salad. <laughs> and we set off a on a journey of condemnation that recalls all the ways that we have erred in the past and will continue to err long into the future until we are convinced that we are surely the most completely deluded, confused person on this retreat actually in the whole world. <laughs> and we become the storyteller and soon there's not sing one single worthwhile quality in ourselves that can be seen. The fourth quality of papancha is called baya papancha. It is fear-based papancha, proliferation, currently well encouraged in our culture. Hmm? It is not only creates the other, you know, the other that we need to be afraid of, that we need to demonize, that we need to not surely understand. That is not mentioned in this. But it includes all the phobias, the, de the, the desire for s try and find safety and guarantees in an unpredictable world. Baya papancha, fear-based papancha is projected onto people, onto objects, onto events, onto countries, onto races. You know, we, it's pretty big. We see the world as dangerous, a threat, and we have all the stories about it. Now, the last form of papancha, and perhaps the most important of all, because it really is the, the, the kind of heart, the cornerstones of all of the papanchas I've already mentioned, is called mana papancha. And it is all the ways that we proliferate and build worlds and stories about me. I am wonderful, terrible, failure, success, outstanding, unworthy. Now, some of this mana papancha, this papancha about me, is very historical. Some of it is very momentary. 
but we see that the I am of the moment is formed by identifying with any event or experience, but then we proliferate about upon that identification. I am sad. Why am I sad? I am sad because, 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 because. We have the whole story about it. I'm unworthy. Why am I unworthy? Because, because, because. I'm angry. Why am I angry? Because, 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 because. And we have all of the proliferation around it, the loops that go round and round. Now, some people simply through repetition, countless times of repetition of particular flavors of papancha become almost specialized. You know, like we can get, be almost specialized in aversion papancha, or we can get almost specialized in craving papancha or fear papancha. It just shows us what we're more prone to identify with. That's all. It doesn't make it more true. Now, what the Buddha says is what we dwell upon became, becomes a shape of our mind. And the shape of our mind, the repetitive dwelling, hardens into character. Now, it's also, I think, very important to see that these very difficult threads of papancha are really in an ongoing dialogue with each other. For example, fearful thinking can very much then produce aversive thinking. It can then create craving papancha, which can create mana papancha. If you give us, have a simple example, you know, if you're sitting and you have a pain in your knee and you start to very much identify with that, um, start to think about it, you know, what's going on, you know, I might always have a pain in my knee, you know, maybe I'm really doing some damage to myself. You can feel the anxiety and the aversion arising. You can dread coming into the hall again. You know, I'm a useless meditator. It creates craving papancha. I need to be a different kind of person. I have a different kind of body to do this. It can create all kind. You know, it, it just goes on and on, the story. Now, this is what we need to calm down. And, and really to go back to this very simple formula of contact, right? The meeting with the sensory impressions, the feeling, the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral feelings, that Yanai was speaking about this morning, and perception. Now it is at this point of feeling and perception that Papancha really be, starts to get going. And it's at this same point of feeling and perception that Papancha can really calm down and end. Now we really need to recognize that perception is not neutral. In fact, perception travels the same neural pathways as memory. It's not neutral. Perception is very much tied up with memories of the past. Now some of that memory in, built into perception is very necessary and very useful. You know, if I go outside the back door and I see a car, it's very useful that I know what a car is and that I don't have to learn to drive every time I see a car, right? So this part, this kind of perception is, you know, and memory association is actually very useful and very necessary. But we can also see that there is a whole load of perception that is not within this realm of being useful but where perception is really constantly triggering the past into the present, memories and associations into the present. It's like you see that person that, you know, who has offended you, and you only need to see them, and it's right there, isn't it? The whole story. We might say that one of the part of the work of mindfulness is to kind of sever this questionable link between perception and the world of association that's rooted in craving, aversion, and self-view. It's not to get rid of the helpful, necessary perceptual modes, but we can see how much that road of perception that's rooted in historical memories of craving, aversion, of self-view is actually fixing the world over and over again into a kind of frozen place that can never change. And of course, that association is also fixing ourself into, a, you know, when it's laden with judgment, 
fixing ourselves into a frozen place where we can never change. Now we see ourselves in the face of sounds, sights, thoughts begin to build, to begin to proliferate. And we can learn to pause, not to push away or to repress the thinking, but a little bit more to investigate, you know, what is this? And in this teaching, we're really learning what it means to see anew, to liberate the present and everything in it from the burden of the past. Not the wise learning from the past, but the burden from the past. The glue that keeps the papancha going, the craving, the aversion, the fear, the, 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 the self-view, to look closely at it, to look really closely at it, to really see, you know, every time you begin to have those sentences that start with, I am, you know, to really see how that storyteller is creating the story based upon view and we're learning to release the story. And some of you have heard me use this example before, but I'm going to use it again because it's great. <laughs> you know, when a yogi on retreat in England told me about their experience of being lost in agitation and agitation-based papancha, you know, roaming around the retreat center endlessly feeding the sense doors, looking for things to do, spinning in thought, and at their wit's end, you know, really running low on resources, found themselves reading the instructions on the fire extinguisher. <laughs> and, and the first instruction they read said, aim the nozzle at the base of the fire. Aim the nozzle at the base of the fire to look at what really is fueling, fueling the agitation. You know, sometimes it's said that if you want to know about your past, look at your mind now. And if you want to know about your future, look at your mind now. And of course, it's only this mind of now that we can really calm and liberate. Certainly that calmness of mindfulness is one of the central ingredients in calming the momentum of papancha. But insight, understanding is really essential in uprooting the source of papancha. The I am that is born of identifying with thoughts, with emotions, with stories, with events. When we walk through the dining room and smell the garlic, we may have a lot of thoughts about the garlic but it would be unusual for any of us to say, I am the garlic. <laughs> when we hear the sound of the truck outside the window, we can have a whole lot of thoughts about it, but we're not going to say, I'm the truck. Hmm? When we see the note on the board, there can be a world of thinking about it, but we don't say, I am the note. But with thoughts and emotions, particularly the, those that have a long history and many repetitions, we are certainly prone to say, I am the thought. I am the emotion. I am miserable. I am unwise. I am inadequate. The thought is me. Now, this is actually really something helpful to see because it's not surprising that we have so many thoughts. You know, but what is surprising is that we give so much authority to them. We give so much authority to them. I mean, if any of you had the willingness to sit up here and articulate your mind, speak your mind throughout a whole sitting, you know, just report on what your mind was doing. I mean, most people would feel absolutely horrified at the thought. <laughs> but part of the horrifying thought part about it is you'd think that if you did that, everybody out there would be aghast. But that's not true, actually. Everybody out there would, mm. <laughs> No surprise there, you know. <laughs> but interesting, if you listen to somebody else come up here and do that, what would you say to them? You know, you would probably say, why are you giving so much authority to those thoughts? Huh? But with ourselves, we often find ourselves actually giving that authority, even though a lot of it is really quite empty and without substance. 
Now, Papancha is very little value in abstract, but when applied to our moment-to-moment experience, it's a profound understanding Papancha is a profound doorway to transformation. Now, I'm going to give you another formula. It's a shortened version, but it's really one that is really easy to apply. Contact, feeling, craving, or aversion, grasping, becoming. Contact, feeling, craving or aversion, grasping and becoming. Now, contact happens as long as we live. You know, there will always be sights, sounds. You know, it doesn't matter what happened to a Buddha, what happened to somebody who never sat in a cushion. Contact can be the place where we build our world or a place of remarkable calmness and equanimity and wise attention. Feelings arise throughout our lives, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Again, doesn't matter, Buddha or never sat in a cushion. But we can learn to meet this range of feelings equally or to be lost in the underlying tendencies that surround them, aversion, craving, delusion. We can learn to pause in those moments instead of being a hostage to our reactions. We can let the pleasant be pleasant, the unpleasant be unpleasant, the neutral, neutral. Craving and aversion, okay, they arise. Hmm? When we're all enlightened, they won't arise anymore. In the meantime, we have a little bit of practice to do. Hmm? Craving, aversion arise. All is not lost. All is not lost because craving and aversion arises. We can learn to meet craving and aversion with equanimity instead of going down the pathway of feeding them. We can learn to fast rather than to feed. What is becoming? It's that place where we arrive at through grasping that says, I am. I am anxious. I am hopeless. You know, I am unworthy. That is becoming. We are becoming someone through the identification. We're being defined by what has been taken hold of. Now we can, with mindfulness and understanding, begin to see the fabrication and the construction of I am and to hold it a little more lightly with a little bit of creative disbelief. A little bit of creative disbelief. Knowing that it's part of a process, not necessarily a truth or the end of the story. We can calm the cycles of obsession and dwelling, calm our hearts, calm our minds. And then this body, this mind, used wisely, really truly is a wrap to freedom. So if we have a moment quietly to come in. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.